I'm going to start with Exodus chapter number 20, which this chapter is most famously known for the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, I would assume probably most of you know this, but we actually kind of redact down the text to get the Ten Commandments compressed down to just ten short, pithy commands. But there's a little bit more than that actually in the Ten Commandments section, Exodus chapter number 20, especially at the very beginning, and we're going to hit that and launch from that to something else. And you'll see, you'll see how this will all make sense here in just a moment. So Exodus chapter number 20, look in verse number 4. This is, this is leading with the first big command, that thou shalt have no other gods before me, is the command. But here's, there's several verses actually on this. Look at verse number 4. Thou, verse number three actually says, Know the gods before me. Verse number four elaborates, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Don't have idols. Don't worship things. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Note, being a jealous God is a good thing. Uh, Oprah Winfrey's testimony is that she grew up in a Baptist church. She heard that phrase, God's a jealous God, and thought, how could God be jealous? And she walked away from it. That, that's a good thing. Envy is I want. Jealous is don't take. Jealous is actually, in, in the proper sense, is actually a good thing that this is mine. I want to be protective. Don't take. And God's saying, the children of Israel, they're, they're, they're mine. I love them. I want them to me. I want them to love me back. They're, don't, don't take. Don't run away from me. That's a good thing. I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Then he says this, I'm visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children into the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The Jewish people had a tendency over the years to take verse number five, including the Ten Commandments, especially the phrase that God was going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation. They would generally leave out the phrase of them that hate me, that the generations were all doing wrong but that the iniquity of the fathers is now being visited upon the children and they had a tendency to self-justify themselves. To say, you know, it's not really my fault. It's kind of mom's fault, dad's fault. They did wrong and now it's being visited upon me and to shift blame. And, and, and I've even heard some try to do the same with that verse, which is not at all the case of what God's trying to say. You have to pair it with verse number six where he says that I will show mercy unto thousands, really meaning thousands of generations of them that love me and keep my commandments. God's trying to set up a contrast. Choose right with the Ten Commandments and you will have mercy for a long time. The reward is enormous, but if you choose wrong and you walk away from me, then there, there is actually going to be, there's going to be a punishment. There's even going to be some, some effects that, that are progressive in nature for a short period of time. But he's trying to contrast something to the tune of if I told my son, disobey me and you don't get a cookie, obey me and you go to Disney World. Right? There's a, the scales are really tipped in the favor of obedience. This is what God's trying to say. That's the point of these verses. Is that the scales are so tipped in the favor of obedience. Follow the commandments. Follow what I'm telling you to do. This is really healthy for you. This is really good for you. He's not trying to give them a hall pass for their, for their wrongdoing. But the Jews took that thought from Exodus 20, and they be, then they developed over time a proverb that we see in Ezekiel 18. So go to Ezekiel 18, and we'll stay there this morning. Ezekiel is partially past the halfway point of your Bible. If you find Psalms in the middle, and then you go a little bit to the right, you'll find Ezekiel. For me, it's page 858, but I'm not sure what it is in, uh, in, in your Bible. 
The Jews began to take that thought and they developed a proverb, not a good proverb like from the book of Proverbs, but just a, a general pithy saying that's generally true, at least they thought it was true. And God's going to refute this idea and speak into the idea of personal responsibility and choosing for yourself right and wrong. And I want you to, I want you to see this thought of you can't self-justify this is wrong. Now let me give you 30 seconds of background and we'll read four verses and we'll, we'll get underway. 30 seconds of background is this. The Jewish people eventually come together under Saul, then David, then, then Solomon. Solomon's around 900 BC. After Solomon, the kingdom splits. There's 12 tribes and they split up. They make separate nations. 10 tribes are in the north, two are in the south. The 10 in the north, 200 years later, roughly 700 BC, they're conquered and they're gone. Now you're left with two tribes that are called the Southern Kingdom or Judah. Jerusalem is the capital there. You have two tribes left. Here about, it's, it's a little bit after 600 BC, but roughly that time frame, Judah walks away from the Lord and Judah receives some judgment, primarily at first by the hand of Babylon. The Babylon comes, they conquer Judah, they don't tear down the temple and destroy the city, but this is where you would have Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel's carried away as a captive. Ezekiel is carried away as a captive. And now Ezekiel and Daniel would, also, would both be in Babylon. And Ezekiel's a prophet writing about the response that the children of Israel need to have because they've just received some retribution from the hand of the Lord. So Ezekiel's going to warn them and try to help them think properly because they're not thinking properly right now. And that's where we pick up this proverb in Ezekiel 18. Verse number one. The word of the Lord came, in, came unto me again saying, verse two, what mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, and here's the proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Shut up. Don't say it anymore. That's what he says. Verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. As the, soul, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. I think that what we're starting with this morning, the thought that I choose to take responsibility for myself, is an extremely foundational choice. Truly, I believe that all the, the nine choices after this that we'll look at in sequential weeks are rooted in this choice, that if you don't get this one right, then the other ones fall flat. That you have to understand, biblically, there's a lot of press about this, that I'm going to take responsibility for myself. This is intensely biblical. It's extremely practical and is very helpful for your life. And this is exactly what Ezekiel 18 is getting after. There are many passages that we could look at and that we'll glance at this morning, but there's none, I think, more fitting to address this issue than Ezekiel chapter number 18. And I want to show you how this will help you. And first, I'll just start with this. Understanding to take responsibility for yourself will help you to think properly. There's a few truths that you will glean from this truth. If you begin to take responsibility for yourself, you'll begin to think properly. You'll begin to think this way. I will give an account for myself, not for others. That I am going to give an account for me, not for other people. This is exactly what Ezekiel 18 is getting after when he says the proverb that I don't want you to say anymore is that the fathers ate sour grapes and it set the children's teeth on edge. Meaning... Daddy chose, mommy chose, I merely reacted. They acted, 
I reacted, so I'm a victim. This isn't really my fault. I'm not actually taking responsibility for this. I'm a victim here. And Ezekiel says, don't say that anymore. Don't use that as a hall pass and an excuse. You do answer for yourself. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. You are going to give an account for yourself. You're responsible for yourself. So don't blame shift and pass the buck to somebody else. You stand up and own it and put it on your shoulders and understand that it's not mommy and daddy's fault, that it is your fault, and take responsibility for your actions. And this is, this is so pervasive. We have such a tendency to do this, to blame shift and to excuse ourselves away and to tell ourselves, well, yeah, I do have road rage, but they cut me off. So that's why I was angry or cursed at them or cut them off. or God, it, It's their fault. No, it's not their fault. Yes, they may have cut you off, but that's not an excuse for you to act the fool and to be crazy. It's not, yes, I understand that you may have acted this way or that way, but you don't get to blame it on mom or dad or your spouse or your children or your employer or the other people around you. You don't, you don't get to do that. You don't get to blame it on, well, I just grew up in a dysfunctional home. I know that some homes are more dysfunctional than others. I get that. But every home's dysfunctional. Every home is comprised of mommy sinner, Mary's daddy sinner, and they produce baby sinners, and they have dysfunctional homes. You grew up in a dysfunctional home, you're part of a dysfunctional home right now, and you'll produce a dysfunctional home. That's the way it works because we have wrong inside of us, bending us towards a propensity to want to do wrong and to want to sin. So you don't, you don't get a hall pass on this. And Ezekiel comes via God and says, I'm sick of this. Be quiet. Don't say that anymore. Don't use this anymore. You need to understand that we will all give an account to God. We will stand before him with a naked soul and we will be judged based on what we did or did not do and we'll have to take responsibility for ourselves. This is exactly what Romans 14 tells us. That as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That action will happen eventually so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. This is a really core belief for, for those that are, that are Baptist in their thinking is that there's individual responsibility. And that's, that's both in light of eternity, that you can't as a parent choose for your child Jesus, that that child has to choose Jesus for themselves and to put their faith and trust in him for themselves as much as you would want to choose for them. You can't choose for them. God has children, but no grandchildren that they have to choose for themselves. But even in life, what they choose and what they do, they will give an account for that and you will give an account for you. You can't blame shift. You have to own the responsibility. You can't fall in the trap of what normally happens, that the church blames the parents, the parents blame the church, both of them blame the school, the school blames the society, the society blames the culture, the culture blames the media, the media blames the consumer, and no one blames themselves. That the biblical truth is you take responsibility for yourself. You're going to give an account to God for yourself. As such, there, there's, a, there's a weight on us. There's a responsibility on us that we have to choose what's right and what's wrong. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a saying along these lines, but there, there was an old saying that was, don't leave your keys in the car and help a good boy go bad. It's basically saying, it's my fault he stole my car. I made it easy for him to steal my car, so now the, the good boy went bad because I made it easy for him and I gave him the window. No, he stole my car. I've never had my star car stolen. My dad has, but I haven't. But they stole, they stole the car. It's their fault. They, they give an account for that, have to take responsibility for that. 
Obviously, the past has an influence, no doubt. I, I am not saying that your parents' upbringing and that your family history and what you've been around your whole life has no influence on you. Your past does have an influence on you, but the, the past is not an excuse to choose wrong for yourself, and now you just get to be off the hook. That's not the way it works. I know biblically that the past cannot be an excuse because my Bible tells me that God won't suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but he will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you will be able to bear it. That to say that, uh, well, I couldn't help myself. It, it wasn't my fault. It just, I was in the scenario and it just, it rubbed off on me and it was, it's someone else's fault. To say that is to actually cast a shadow upon the faithfulness of God and to say that, well, God didn't actually make it to where I could escape, where I could get out of this, where I could have chosen right. I had no choice in the matter and we do have a choice in the matter. We have a choice to choose what's right and what's wrong. You make a million choices every single day. You made a lot today. You chose whether you were going to come to church this morning or not. Obviously, you chose yes. I'm thankful you chose yes. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here as well. You chose if you were going to leave on time or if you were going to leave late and arrive a little late. You chose what you were going to wear. You chose where you were going to sit. You make a million choices every day, and the choice is yours. And those choices that you make are deeply connected to the reality that you're in right now to where your life is at, to where your finances are at, to where your health is at, to where your marriage is at, to where all of it's at is deeply connected to the choices that you have made. Now, to be fair, as we begin this thought process, some would say, well, Pastor Mark, there are things that I don't choose. There are things outside of my control that I didn't choose. I didn't choose to have the sickness. I didn't choose for uh, them to act that way towards me. I didn't choose for my company to go belly up and now I'm out of job. I didn't make those choices. First of all, there's, there's probably a little bit more responsibility personally in that than we would like to contend. But even if that's the case, you do choose how you respond to it. And there are plenty of people all over our, our surrounding area right here that have found themselves in similar scenarios where they had a, where they had a diagnosis, where they had, they had a loss of job, they had this problem, they had that, someone acted this way, and they chose to respond properly. And as such, their, their lot in life improved because of the response that they chose, whereas you can choose an improper response and it still boils down to choice for you and me. It still roots itself in that you have a choice on how you respond and the right and wrong that, that you choose to do. So understand, you're going to have an account for you. I'm going to give an account for me. And we're going to stand before God and answer for ourselves, not for other people, for yourself. So you need to put the responsibility on your shoulders, and so do I. Secondly, truth number two, my God and your God is just, not capricious. By capricious, I mean fickle, unfair, unjust. He's not that. He's just. And I say this because this is exactly what the text gets after. Verse 4, God says, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, the soul of the Son, it's mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. What God is doing is he's putting the focus back on himself. Then you get to the end of the chapter and look at verse number 25 of Ezekiel 18. Yet ye say, so based on their thought that fathers ate sour grapes, children's teeth are set on edge, it's daddy and mommy's fault. Based on that, you say the way of the Lord is not equal. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? Verse 29, same thing. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal, or it's not just, it's not fair. Here, O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? What they're saying is, my sin is hereditary. Therefore, 
my response is merely reactionary, so God is arbitrary. And if your sin is hereditary, then God is arbitrary. That's a, natu- that's a natural connection. If I have no control, it's not my fault, it's someone else's fault. I'm just, I'm just a product of my environment. I'm a product of my biological chemicals. I'm a product of, of whatever. I have no control in this. I have no choice in this. If that's true, then how could I possibly be judged on what I'm doing or not doing? Because it is outside of my control. But God says, no, you have to step back to step number one. It's inside of your control. You choose. And as such, I can judge you for that. So you're choosing. I am just to have judgment on this. I'm not unjust. You're unjust to walk away and to choose wrongfully and to head down a path that is not right. This is not my fault. But they, they had begun to buy in the thought that God's not fair to judge me for this. Or you could even say other oh, people aren't fair to, to look at me or, or that I don't deserve the, the, the punishment via the hand of the law when I commit a crime. There's a ton of that. Uh, yeah, I did this, but it wasn't my fault, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't get the, the punishment via the letter of the law. There's a ton of that ideology that really is pervasive through even most psychology. And some of you may see a psychologist or psychiatrist. I have no idea. Uh, Some of you in the room may be a psychologist or psychiatrist. I I frankly don't know, but I do know this. I do know that by and large, psychology buys into the lot that where you're at in life is really subject to other circumstances outside of your control. So let's deeply examine those and let's move away from personal responsibility. And much of psychology is filled with what I would call determinism. Determinism, to give you a definition, is the belief that all events, including human action, are ultimately caused by causes external to the will. This really isn't about what I chose. This is about all the things surrounding me that caused me to choose this. Some philosophers take this so far that they use determinism to imply that human beings have actually no free will and we can't be held morally responsible for our actions, which if determinism is right, then that is correct. We can't be held morally responsible. And God says, no, flip it over. That's not right. Determinism isn't right. You do choose for yourself and you are held morally responsible for your actions. It's not, that, it's not factors outside of your control. It's, it's not that mommy, daddy did, someone else did, now I'm, I'm just, this is just reactionary. No, 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 no. And this really became pervasive in the early 1900s with Freud introducing his theory of psychoanalysis that, that basically said if your daddy is an alcoholic, then, then you're probably going to be an alcoholic. And if your mom is depressed, then you're probably going to be depressed. And this is rooted in your parents, and this is rooted in your in your genealogy, in, in your upbringing, and it's not your fault. You can pass the buck to somebody else. And their parents, or I'm wrong, so it's my parents' fault. My parents are wrong, it's their parents' fault. And so on and so forth, it's all on Adam and Eve. No one's actually held responsible, no one's accountable. And God says, that's, that's not the truth. And there are a lot of facets of determinism that are they're being slammed down your throat, whether you realize it or not, in, in books, in culture, in movies, even in public school systems. Frankly, sometimes even inside of churches and Christian schools, this stuff can start to take root that really this, this isn't rooted in your choice. This is rooted in your psyche. This is, there's racial determinism that this is all a byproduct of your race. There's birth order determinism. This is all because you're a firstborn or a lastborn or a middleborn. That's why you act the way that you do. There's biological this is all the chemicals in my body. Yes, there are chemicals in our body, and those, those have a profound effect on us, but it's, it's not okay to say that this is all rooted in my hormones or in the chemicals in my body, so that's the reason that I am this way, and I'm just going to blame it there. Because if that's the case, 
then much of our culture is right. If, it, if it's strictly a chemical issue, then all we need to do is treat the chemical issue. We can synthetically produce happiness, holiness, and right living with a drug, then if that's all it is. If that's all it is, there's no sin, there's no heart issue, there's nothing moral. We, we, can, we can treat this with some sort of prescription. I'm not against prescriptions. There's a lot of prescriptions that are warranted. That's not the goal or the scope of, of the message today. The goal is to say, don't buy into the thought that you're not responsible. You are responsible. And as such, God is just and he's fair. He's fair. It's, don't, don't point at him and say that, that you're wrong to hold me responsible for my actions. It's it's not, I couldn't help myself. It's not, well, it, it was outside of my control. No, 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 no. We, we have a moral obligation, and God is right to, to have a moral standard that we have to abide by. God's right for that. So, so don't think that, that he's capricious. He's not. He's just. Thirdly, true three, I influence my children's behavior. I do not cause it. And I want to dwell on this for a moment. Because this is exactly what, the verse, what these verses get after. We're going to read a passage. I'm going to hit it quickly. We're going to read real fast. So keep up with me because I don't, I won't hit every intricacy, but I want you to see what Ezekiel does. Ezekiel goes straight from, you have a proverb, fathers ate sour grapes, children's teeth are set on edge. Be quiet. Don't say that anymore. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And then he tells a make-believe story. Here's the story in verse number five. He's going to tell us about three generations of people. Daddy has a son, then that son has a son. And he's going he's to tell us this story. Verse number five, here's daddy, a spiritual man, a good man, a man who wants to please the Lord. Verse number five, and this goes kind of down through verse number nine. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, he hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath he lifted his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath he defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any. He hath restored to the debtor his pledge. He hath spoiled none by violence. He hath given his bread to the hungry. He hath covered the naked with a garment. He hath not given forth upon usury, meaning he doesn't have high interest that he's trying to, trying to use people. Neither hath he taken any increase. That which hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity hath he executed true judgment between man and man. He hath walked in my statutes. He hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He's just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Great guy. Great guy. Spiritual giant. Great guy. But this great guy has a son. And this son is as wicked as his dad was holy. And dad is described in, or the son is described in verse number 10. He, the righteous man, beget or he has a son. And what's his son like? Well, he's a robber, a shedder of blood. He that doeth the light to any of these things and that doeth not any of those duties, meaning he's the polar opposite of his daddy. But even hath eaten upon the mountains, hath defiled his neighbor's wife. He hath oppressed the poor and needy. He is spoiled by violence. He doth not restore the pledge. He hath not lifted, or he lifted up his eyes to the idols. He committed abomination. He giveth forth upon usury. He taketh increase. Uh, shall he then live? He shall not live. He that hath done all these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. He's responsible for himself. Good daddy had a bad kid. Now bad kid has a son. And this son is going to be like grandpa and is going to be right. Here's, here's the next kid. Who's right? Verse number 14. Lo, he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins. Now that's important. The son seeth daddy's sins. Daddy didn't sit in the closet. Daddy didn't hide it from his kid. Daddy was, daddy was flagrant. Daddy was open. Daddy introduced son to things son should not have been introduced to. Daddy did wrong and worshiped idols in front of his kid. The son is fully aware 
He sees all of my bad daddy's wrong and considereth. That's an important point. He considereth and doeth not such like. He hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither lifted up his eyes to the isles of the house of Israel. He hath not defiled his neighbor's wife. He hath not oppressed any. He hath not withholden the pledge. Neither hath he spoiled by violence, but he hath given bread to the hungry. He covered the naked with the garment. He hath taken his hand from the poor that hath not received uh, usury nor increase, hath executed my judgments. He walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. He says, good dad had a bad kid. Bad dad had a good kid. This is back and forth, flip-flop. And you could continue the story over and over again if you want. The point he's trying to make is that the dad's not responsible ultimately for the children. The children choose for themselves. That we as parents, we influence our children's behavior. To ignore that would be foolish. No doubt a child that grows up in a good, solid Christian home has a greater chance of, of living and being a good, solid Christian dad or mom themselves. No doubt. That influences them, but at the end of the day, we all give an account for ourselves. And even some of you may have adult children that have chosen a wrong path, and it's unfair to yourself, honestly, and to them to put all of that blame on yourself and to think it's, I caused this. You influenced, yes, and you're going to give a responsibility for how you stewarded your children and the gift that God gave you, but, but you don't give an account for their actions. They choose for themselves. They will give an account for themselves. So don't put that guilt on yourself. That's unhealthy. And it actually takes it away from them. When you, when you put it over on your own shoulders, they need it on their shoulders if they're choosing to walk away from the Lord. You say, Pastor, okay, you explained away Exodus 20, you know, sins visit on third or fourth generation. I get that. But, but what, about, what about Proverbs 22? Isn't that the gold standard for parenting? Isn't that like the ultimate Christian verse for parenting children? To train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not. They will not depart from it. Does, doesn't that teach us kid turns out good because of good parenting? Kid turns out bad because of bad parenting. Doesn't it teach us that? Frankly, I don't think here, but maybe elsewhere, some of you have been taught that, and that's a lie. The Bible's true, but here's the problem. You cannot take a proverb, which is a general principle, and pretend like it's an unconditional promise. This, this is kind of basic Bible study hermeneutics, that a proverb is a general piece of wisdom that is generally true, but is not meant to be an unconditional promise that I can, I can know this, if my kid's bad, it's because I did a bad job. If my kid's good, it's because I did a good job. That is not what Proverbs 22 teaches at all. Proverbs, general principles. So for example, a soft answer turns away wrath. That's a biblical proverb. That's from God. That's true, generally. That does not mean that if you go to the wrong side of the tracks today and someone walks up to you with a knife and says, give me your wallet or I'm going to stick you, that you can say, hmm, soft answer turns away wrath. They seem really angry at me right now. I love you. I'm sorry, I don't, know, I don't know what your mom was like or what your dad was like. I'm sorry that you've had a rough life. I, I will gladly give you some, I'll, I'll go to McDonald's and buy you some food right now. I can't give you my wallet, but know that I care for you. And know, know that I love you and I want to help you. I'm guaranteed from God that he won't stab me now, right? Soft answer turns away wrath. No, he'll probably stab you. Or she will probably stab you. I don't know which one. It's a general principle. 
The hand of the diligent maketh rich. That's a general principle, generally true. But there are a lot of diligent people in third world countries that are not rich. That's the truth. So you, can, you, you can't misconstrue what a proverb is. And you can't take that and say, now I'm taking all the responsibility, my child's actions, I'm the cause. Your training has a profound effect. Your training will influence. I'm not negating that. And I get, I get the rationale on why people want to use Proverbs 22 to say, hey, this is on you, parents, because it, is, it does kind of light the fire under you, doesn't it? Well, if, if that's true, then I better engage and I better train and I better be a good parent because my children's actions, that's rooted in what I choose. And so, and so I, I, better, I better really get after this and try to, try to do the best and, and, and love the Lord and serve the Lord. I'm all for that. Engage. I'm all for that. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks when it comes to your family and parenting. We'll get there with one of the choices. But you can't use that and say now it's I'm the cause you're not the cause we give an account for ourselves your children give an account for themselves there's a profound effect and there is an influence but there is there is not a cause that you are causing your children to do to do wrong there's a difference and you can't put that blame on yourself you need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict them if they're choosing wrong and not own that all yourselves. And what happens is that there's a lot of pride or a lot of guilt if you think that Proverbs 22 is an unconditional promise. Either my kid turned out right, so look at me. I Proverbs 22 did up. I trained that kid. I should write a book on that. I will give you my 80,000 rules that I used to train my child and look how good I did and come talk to me and I'm, I'm the cat's meow. I mean, I'm the stuff. Come talk to me and learn my parenting secrets. I know it because my, my kid chose right. You probably did a decent job if, you're, if your kid turned out right, but you and I both know that you made a lot of mistakes and so will I and so have I. They choose for themselves. So you can, you can fall into the trap of pride. You can also fall into the trap of guilt where you did your best you did your best, and now they're walking away from the Lord, and now it's my fault. And that's unfair to yourself. It's unbiblical. It's, it's, they choose. They choose. It's unfair to think it's all my fault. Or maybe something worse even happens. God lied to me. That's worse. And that's where the, that's where the Jews were at. No, God's not fair. He's wrong. No, 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 no. God didn't lie to you. It's, a, it's just a proverb. Or you find yourself, okay, it wasn't my fault. God didn't lie to me. Someone else spoiled the pot. So let me look. Well, the Christian school didn't do their job. Well, my neighbors, they influenced them. What? And you start, to, you start to blame shift everywhere else instead of saying, you know what? My child right now has a rebellious heart. And I'm going to pray for them that they'll come back to the Lord, but they're choosing for themselves. They're going to account for themselves. That's the truth. It's the biblical truth. So don't, don't buy into the lies. You need, you need to know the truth. The individual responsibility is healthy for you. It's healthy for you to know I give an account for me. It's healthy for you to know God is just. It's healthy for you to know I will influence my children deeply, but they will choose for themselves, and I'm, I'm not the cause of their right or wrong. They will choose for themselves. Secondly, and I need to hurry, individual responsibility swims against the cultural current. Now, to be clear, something is not good just because it swims against the cultural current. Don't fall into the trap of, Everything that culture has ever said has been wrong. So I just naturally want to go against culture all the time because I feel like it. That's, that's a trap. Don't fall into that. But when, when culture says something that's contrary to the word of God and contrary to truth and even contrary to common sense, then it's okay to go against the grain. It's a healthy thing to go against the grain. And in this particular instance, this does go against the grain. This, this, 
this is different to what a lot of maybe even your family or your coworkers or your neighbors or a lot of people around you will buy into. I did not realize this until this week as I was studying. We live in a day and age where you can sue your parents for allowing you to be born. As of 1986, there was a new tort that was introduced called wrongful birth based on Feinberg's theory of harm where existence can be the basis of injury so I can sue my parents for allowing me to be born and not aborting me. That's where we live. And that's, that's 1986, that's not yesterday. That's crazy, like it's flat out crazy. But that is, that's very normative to want to even that bizarre, which I don't think that's often that someone will do that, but it's, it's theoretically possible right now legally to do that and to try to blame shift even to that level. And we love to blame shift. We love to feel self-justified and many times we're blinded by, by lies and we don't see the truth. And I, I at least wanted to halfway answer, why is this? Why is it that some lies are so pervasive and so binding and people just wholesale accept them and it becomes the norm of the fabric of our culture? There's probably a lot of answers to that, honestly. But I think we at least have to tip our hat to the biblical notion that there are some lies that are satanically motivated and have a lot of satanic force behind them. I don't think it's coincidental that Darwinism or that Freudianism hit our culture like a tsunami and people accept it, I mean, by the droves, just almost instantaneously. I think we at least have to think biblically that potentially there are doctrines of devils and seducing spirits and that there's some sort of satanic motivation behind this, the father of lies and making these lies very plausible and very easy to swallow. And many do swallow them. Perhaps you've swallowed the pill of, of I'm shifting blame to somebody else. If so, regurgitate it and get it out of your system because it's not healthy for you. You want to understand, I choose to take responsibility for myself. Thirdly and lastly, Individual responsibility does call us to action. There, there are two things that I think that this at least has to do. There's more than two, but at least two. First of all, you have to think diligently and biblically. I love that it told us that the grandson in Ezekiel 18, grandson had a bad daddy and he saw it all. But it says, and he considereth. I think it's verse 14, if I'm not mistaken. And he considereth. He saw it and he thought about it. And he thought about, is this, is this actually helping mom and dad? Is this actually helping their relationship? Is this producing joy or peace? Does my dad seem to be satisfied with this? Is this actually good? He, he considered it. He weighed it out. And you have to in your own life. I can't give you a, a three-point rubric to filter every single decision you ever come across in your life. You're going to be put in some iffy positions at work. You're going to be encouraged to do something wrong. You're going to find yourself in, in a lot of scenarios where you can maybe justify or, or say, well, situationally, I think this is okay. I'm just going to morally bend a little bit to do this. You're going to find that all the time is going to be thrown at you. And you have to think about that very diligently, but also very biblically. This is why you, you being in the word for your own. This is why you come to church. This is why you being in scripture a lot. Why you listening to the Bible in audio form. Why you listening to some podcasts or some sermons. All that's deeply important because you want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. You want that to be in you so that you can think very biblically about all the different scenarios and all the different choices that you have to make in a given day. You want to think diligently about that. 
If I ever write an autobiography, which I probably will not, but if I already write it, I already have my title picked out. It's gonna be called Think for Yourself. And that's not because of this sermon. I've said that for a long time to probably my wife and no one else, but think for yourself. You say outside of scripture? No, not outside of scripture, in line with scripture. But think about it. Don't just go with the flow because every, every other employee is doing it. Don't just go with the flow because, well, that's, that's what all my siblings do. That's what, that's what my family of origin did. That's, don't. Think for yourself. Think diligently. Think biblically. Sort it out and think, is this right? Does this line up? Is this good? Is this healthy? Think about it. Secondly, choose righteously. If individual responsibility is true, then you have a choice. You have lots of choices all the time. And choose at least the bottom shelf right now of, you know what, I want to choose. Don't, not choosing is not an option. Not choosing is actually a choice. You get that? You choose not to choose. And that's a bad choice. So choose to choose. Choose to engage. Choose to think. Choose that whatever comes at me, I'm going to do my best to honor the Lord. I'm going to do my best to make the decision that's right. I'm going to do my best to be pleasing to the Lord. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to pass the buck. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's someone else's fault. I'm going to, to own it, and I'm going to choose to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. This is what Romans 6 says. It says, what? Know ye not? Don't you know this? That to whom ye yield yourselves. There's a lot of personal responsibility there. To whom ye yield yourselves. Servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. What does that mean? Well, you can be a servant unto sin, to death, or of obedience unto righteousness. You choose to yield unto sin, and that leads to death, or you choose to yield unto righteousness, and that will choose the life. And when you choose wrongfully, then I didn't make the right choice, then choose to make it right. And choose to own it and take responsibility for it and choose that I am going to, I'm going to operate in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. About 60 of you were in our session yesterday with the Lookabas who told their story. And I don't want to still thunder from them, but it's such a potent story. Many of you know this, but the, the, the story starts with their three-year-old being diagnosed with leukemia and they're in the hospital, they're three days in and Josh and Chris are telling us yesterday, we're, we're sobbing, we're, we're crying uncontrollably, we can't get a handle on ourselves emotionally and our three-year-old looks at us three days into this leukemia diagnosis and he's, he's on the floor trying to play with stuff, we're crying and he looks at us and says, are you gonna cry or are you gonna play? And we made the decision from that day forward, we're gonna play. We're not going to cry. We're not going to whine. We're not going to let this hijack our lives. We're going to make the right choice day after day after day. And I, I love, they're back there. I love the story yesterday. I, I love what it did for my own heart. And I love the thought of, I'm, I'm going to choose. I'm going to engage in this. So choose righteously. And you can, you can. Especially if you're a Christian. My Bible tells me that if you're a Christian, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. That's pretty all-encompassing. My Bible tells me that if you know Jesus and you're a child of God, then greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the resources available. Can you do it in your own power, in your own strength? Absolutely not. We talked about that last week with grace. You need his grace. 
You need his help. But there is provision and there is help there. There are resources there for you. So engage and say, I have the heart that I want to make the right choice. My history does not determine my destiny. I'm not caught in the web of the past. I am going to engage. I'm going to even approach the next nine weeks as we look at different choices that are healthy for you to make. And I'm going to do my best to approach them with an open heart and at least with the understanding that I can choose to do that. I can choose to live a right life. I can choose to be a good parent or to be a good spouse. Or to, There's a lot of choices. I can choose them. There's individual responsibility. Yes, responsibility, but you, you have free will. You have the ability to choose. So, so own it. Embrace it. Don't run away from it because it will lead you to some really unhealthy ideology. Know that I want to take responsibility and I want to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus.